Good Monday evening to you. My name is Rems Mabote and this is Metro FM Talk. You know we do this every Monday and Tuesday. I am going to give you a quick disclaimer before anything happens. I had a terrible bout of bronchitis and laryngitis over the weekend. So if I sound like somebody who wants to sound like Rems, pardon me. It is not because I'm trying to sound different. It is just that I am sounding different. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us. Temba jumps into his squad car and calls the station. I have an interesting case here. He says, a woman shot her husband for stepping on the floor. She just mopped. Have you arrested her? Asked the sergeant. No, not yet. The floor is still wet, Temba replied. Tonight on the show, we have our top five uh, news bulletin as, as usual. On the big business interview... They make a return, the Competition Commission, and this time they've got something on the grocery retail market. There's an inquiry that started today, and it's uh, already revealing amazing stuff about what you and I take for granted about the retail business out there that we shop from every single moment, every day. And then uh, that will be followed by Rams and Sense, and we speak to uh, Mr. Sam Muraba, CEO of the Human Settlements Development Bank, to discuss the bank as part of the uh, the feature that we have with the department for the next 32 weeks or so. And then on our consumer feature, we speak to Lucius Budive, Head of Public Affairs at uh, the Motor Industry Ombuds, and he's going to give us feedback on uh, listener cases that we have handled so far. And as we said uh, two weeks ago, we will follow up with FIRA. So we have Johan Rousseau back in studio, and today we want to look at uh, funeral policies. How much do you pay for your funeral policy? What does it cover? How realistic is that? And how sure that you're covered for what they tell you that you're covered for? We actually want to hear from you uh, in about uh, 30 minutes from now. Then we wrap up uh, with uh, fame and fortune. And our guest is the host of Nyan Nyan. Nyan Nyan. Luyanda Potoana. And uh, that will be the show for tonight. Thank you very much for joining. And straight to our talk five. Brian Mulefe has launched an urgent application in the Labour Court in Johannesburg to have the decision to remove him as CEO of ESCOM titled invalid. Motorists have been given a little bit of a breather at the petrol pumps in June following the Department of Energy's latest announcement on the fuel price. The price of all grades of petrol would decrease by 25 cents from Wednesday, while uh, diesel will drop by 23 cents, uh, the department said. By exiting the Paris Climate Agreement, President Donald Trump says he sought to escape an economic uh, straitjacket that would hinder him from making good on all his populist campaign promises and pro-growth agenda. The Mass Taxi Industry Protest Action Committee 
the taxi industry splinter group that brought the production to a halt this week at Toyota South Africa manufacturing plant in Devon has a list of more than 30 entities it plans to target. So it means the game is not over yet. And finally, National Treasury has welcomed Standard & Poor's decision of maintaining South Africa's sovereign credit rating with a long-term foreign currency for, uh, sovereign credit rating of BB+, or BB+, and a long-term local sovereign currency credit ratings of triple B minus with a negative outlook. I'm not sure why why anybody would welcome a rating that's not looking good. Or are we expecting things to be so bad that we would take anything that comes uh, from the Standard & Poor's? But yeah, uh, that's not for me to say. Uh, this morning, uh, at least today, the uh, the Competition Commission was at it again. Uh, there was an inquiry that's been told that retailers are bullying spaza shops in the rural areas and townships. The sector came under scrutiny after global player Masmat complained that retail giants blocked rival companies by means of exclusive mall leases. The grocery retail market inquiry in Pretoria has heard that bigger retail groups venturing into townships and rural areas are making it difficult for smaller independent retailers to compete. I remember asking the commissioner of the competition commissioner about this on this show and now they are looking into this matter. Clearly, he's a man who keeps the promise that he makes. But to tell us more about this inquiry that started today is the man who's becoming a regular guest. Maybe he must become a resident guest. Sifongwema, Head of Communication of the, at the Competition Commission. We've lost him. We've lost him. He doesn't want to be a regular guest. Anyway, uh, just to continue on that story, the, the Commission is holding a week-long hearing into the sector uh, after allegations that consumers in Gauteng may be affected by collusion. East Africa, I don't, I don't know what is EST Africa's uh, Louis Hreff says big four retail companies in Gauteng, ShopRite, Checkers, Pick and Pay, Spa and Woolworths are bullying independent retailers including spaza shops in the townships. Uh, is he back? Sipo is back. We have him on the line. Ungabi man, Ungabi is so worried about being a regular guest. We, we like you. We don't mind having you here You know, as a, as a, as a resident guest. More <laughs> Hey, good evening, Salam, and uh, thanks for having me on your show again. I'm starting to think that you guys start a case every week so that you make sure you are on this show. We, we love to be here. We enjoy <laughs> it, so we'll do anything uh, to to start a show. You know, uh, I remember about <clears throat> I can't remember now, four, three, four months ago. I had the commissioner here, and I did mention this thing about retailers in the townships, and he said, actually, we're going to be looking at this matter. I didn't realize it would happen this soon. Who brought the complaint to you? Um, so long, we, we received a number of complaints mm. uh, from traders in the township, uh, but also from uh, other people who supply people in the township. But also, we have also been observing uh, certain features that we think that distort, threaten, or even lessen competition, uh, particularly around the grocery retail sector. You must remember before uh, before the early 90s or the beginning of the 90s, there were virtually none of the big retailers in the country. Mm-hmm. And we want to understand what has the entry, and you must know that there's everywhere. And we are very concerned about the fact that what has been their impact 
on the township and doing business in the township. There's no doubt that there are pros and cons um, of the arrival mm. and must remain in the township, semi-urban areas, and also in the rural areas. So we want to have a look at what their impact has been. But also we want to look at many other areas, uh, including um, the area around um, uh, regulation, uh, bylaws. We want to look at bulk buying. We want to look at the impact uh, that bulk buying has uh, in this business. But also, there's another uh, very worrying feature, which is the exclusive clauses uh, in the contracts, particularly with um, uh, what we call anchor tenants, mm. who then, uh, in some cases, it seems, or in many cases, if not all cases, uh, have the power to dictate how business is done in the mall. Mm. In fact, that is that is the issue I raised with the commissioner that I know <clears throat> of a specific case of somebody who tried to get into, and I'm going to mention Maponya Mall, and they wanted to start a butcher shop, and they were given clear feedback that the anchor tenant, which happens to be pick and pay, say has a clause that excludes anybody who's going to compete with them. Indeed, in Cape Town, we were in Cape Town at the beginning of the week doing exactly the same. And uh, we interviewed a lady called uh, Tandi Swakama, mm-hmm. who also owns a butchery. Um, and uh, she used to have an asset right where the mall, new mall in Kukuletu is. Yeah. You know? And they demolished her butchery, um, saying that they wanted to build a mall and therefore uh, they needed the space. But where she was, where she had bought this asset, it's still empty. And uh, she then spoke to us about all the hurdles uh, she was having in terms of one, because she has a chief Anyama, right? mm-hmm. but she was struggled to get a liquor license, and she struggled to get a food permit. Whereas her competitors, which are big retailers, uh, I think she mentioned Tops in particular, yeah. uh, they knew where their business was going to be. They already had um, a liquor license. So she explained to us her struggle. And she still has got court papers uh, that have not been affected because these big um, developers have got money. So they can keep you waiting and stay keep you in court. So we, we, we are aware of some of the things that uh, people go through when these new malls come in and the struggles uh, these uh, small shops go through when these malls are built. I don't want to preempt you, but what what sort of outcome could, could, could we actually expect from this thing? Because I, I'm, I'm thinking, <clears throat> you know, one could say they have a right to trade, they have a right to, to gain competitive advantage. Uh, what more do, do you do? I mean, oh, could they threaten you and say, well, we're going to walk out if you don't want us to trade the way we've been trading? You must remember there's a matter as well where one of the big uh, retailers, Woolworths, uh, had with uh, Walmart, which ended up in court. Basically, what is the biggest problem um, which we found is that we want to enhance competition. We want everybody to compete fairly and transparent. Mm. However, we get worried when the elements of bullying and elements of foreclosure, where certain businesses are not allowed um, to compete fairly with the others. So if, for example, we take in the instance of uh, this mall, where one uh, tenant uh, will then say who is going to be a call, then they will choose someone who they know that is not necessarily in the same league because they are not going to give them a tough time. However, some of the stories we have heard 
is that in some these cartels don't pay rates, they don't pay rent, they are subsidized by the small business. No, no, but what, what, what do you mean they don't pay rates? These guys occupy the biggest spaces in these malls. What do you mean they can't, they're not paying rates? The story we have had in some instances is that they bring footprint. They are the ones who bring people into the mall and therefore they should not do certain things for a certain period. But also you must remember, uh, these uh, retailers also bring better prices, better quality of food, and so on and so forth. So we have to look at both positives and the negatives. And in the end, we should be able, therefore, to say um, this is what we recommend uh, in terms of the Competition Act. And there are these breaches. This is how we think uh, these breaches need to be resolved. But also, um, as I said, we need to look at regulation. Are they under-regulated? Are they over-regulated? Is there anything that needs to be done in terms of regulation? Because also, people were complaining about being rated not getting uh, licenses on time, uh, whether it's liquor or food or relevant mm. issues. So we need to look at competition in the township but also around the grocery sector to make sure that, because in the end, as we have said in Southern before, this thing trickles down to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Because if you do not have enough uh, to shop around, you will be then limited to the prices that are dictated to by some of the people that have got monopoly of the business. However, if you can then uh, make sure that there's more competition in the spaces, we believe that consumers will have better choices and consumers will have better uh, prices to choose from. I'm running out of time, but uh, where are the hearings happening? How long are they going to be happening for? And can people still come and make submissions? Uh, the, the, the hearings are happening in Pretoria at the Manhattan Hotel, I think. It's in Quarter Street. It's next to the station at Bosman. Okay. Uh, they will be taking place. It took place from today and until Wednesday. Thursday and Friday, we are going to Johannesburg at the Pactonian Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who are interested to come, they can come and interact with our officials. Uh, we do have a schedule, but we'll try our best. Uh, if some of the submissions are to make are different from the ones we have, or they can still be accommodated. I remember in Cape Town, we did accommodate people who are not on the schedule. It will all depend on who uh, is coming. Uh, how and if they bring in something new. Submissions uh, and could they submit uh, via email? Uh, people can submit via email. They can go into a website, www.comcom.co.za. They can also phone us. Uh, from here, we are going to Deben in the first week of July. So, but in the process, we are still uh, taking people's submissions because they will assist us uh, in terms of making the final recommendation. You must remember, very many of these um, retailers they are not going to come and speak. However, they already made submissions, and those submissions are available on our website. That's brilliant, Sipo. Thank you very much. And I hope that more people will come and make submissions. And I hope people will go and listen to uh, the deliberations, at least uh, you know, uh, those that have access to the places where you're doing these things. And we, we know what you're going to do in the next week or so. You'll be back here telling us what the outcome was. So we'll be waiting for you. Thank you very much. Once again, thank you very much. I appreciate being on your program. And indeed, uh, we'll keep you posted in terms of cyber development. Great stuff. Have a great evening, Sipo. Sipongo Emma, Head of uh, Communication at the Competition Commission. If you know of any activity that excludes small players in the townships, especially in the malls, you may want to go to www.compcom.co.za.
and look at where the, uh, the hearings are happening. Go there if you can or send your submissions. When we come back, we speak to Mr. Samson Moraba, CEO of the Human Settlements Development Bank on Rams and Sands. Talk with Rams Mabote on Metro FM. Talk with Rams Mabote on Metro FM. In our conversation with uh, Minister Lewin Diwesisulu last week on Rams and Sense, we mentioned the fact that uh, she announced in Parliament that uh, she's setting up the Human Settlements Development Bank to hear more about the bank, how it's going to work, and all about it. Is the CEO of the Human Settlements Development Bank, Mr. Samson Muraba, joining us? On the line. Good evening, Tete Muraba, and thank you very much for joining us. Good, good evening, Ramson. How are you? Very well, thank you for asking. How are you? I'm well indeed, Ramson. The, the, the idea of a bank, I mean, I spoke to the minister briefly, but we didn't have time, but where exactly does it come from? Well, Ramson, uh, let me say that the priority agenda of uh, the Human Settlement uh, Ministry is that of building sustainable integrated human settlement, which is really a key development challenge. Mm. And as you well know, Rams, that uh, it's a massive challenge on a daunting scale. I mean, you know about the housing backlog, which the minister did mention. I think the challenge households have with affordability and access. And the fact that, you know, the human settlement sector is not transformed, and therefore transformation of the sector. And the minister has signed a number of uh, memorandum of understanding with the private sector, and therefore they're currently experiencing limited partnerships mm. that would actually assist here. And I think, and there's also an upside in that. The upside is that if we can have a thrust in the development of human settlement in itself, it does provide, because it's an employment-intensive sector, some economic benefits. So then I think... The households who are trapped in this, uh, they have some hope for a better future. And that's why Human Settlement is confronted with those considerable hopes. And its success in terms of its priority agenda will contribute to the wealth creation of the nation. How, how will the bank operate in relation to the other banks? And let me add by saying, are you going to be in competition or are you going to be complementing what they do? Well, let me say that uh, there are some guiding principles in terms of, uh, firstly, the establishment, but also the operations of the bank. In the first instance, um, it is 
in partner, including partnership with the rest of the banking sector. Mm-hmm. In fact, its function and its role will be complementary to that. I think as a because it's a development finance bank, and uh, its purpose will be that of crowding in the private sector, bringing more private sector participation. Mm-hmm. Because uh, admission can be made that scale of delivery, especially on a national basis and across the whole country, the private sector has the capacity, has the resources. It just needs to be tapped uh, so that we can increase the scale. It will never compete with private sector unless there are developmental and transformational outcomes that government wants, which private sector is unwilling or unable to fulfill. What happened to, uh, you know, I know the department has or had three financial institutions before this bank was established. Do they still exist? Yes. Are you going to run concurrently? What, what is the status well, uh, the three human settlement development finance institutions are actually consolidated or merged into a single entity which is uh, will transform the two, to, to the bank. No. The rationale for that, Rams, is that um, it, it will be a new and a different entity which seeks to deepen and to, to deepen the access and to address the whole issue of broadening access to people who are currently not being accorded uh, services. But at the same time, um, it will be able to provide all the services that are currently in place, except that on a greater scale than what we have right now. For example, currently the delivery is about uh, 20 to 30,000 units per Enum. Mm. Now, I think the, the, the consolidation will actually provide a platform to multiply that by five or by eight or by mm. ten. And that's why we speak about the catalytic projects, which will be the main engine of delivery across the country. Of course, when somebody hears about a government bank, uh, the, the thinking uh, for any consumer or any person out there would be that the conditions will be lighter or easier as compared to uh, uh, commercial banks. The interest rates will be easier and, and probably I won't even be required to have collateral. How is it going to work differently from them? Yeah, that's, <laughs> and let, let me say that I think in, in all developing economies across the world, a government, uh, by virtue of its position, does drive development, uh, both social and economic. And to that extent, it does set up what we call development finance institution, example, Land Bank, PBSA, and now Human Settlement Development Bank. Mm. And the, 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 the thinking behind that is that obviously it will have a higher risk appetite than your normal bank, simply because profit is not the key motive in its design. But at the same time, one of the key fundamentals of this bank, it has to self-sustain in whatever operations that it does. So it means for every money where it gives out, it must be repaid. And where it's going to give developmental impact, it should take stock in terms of how much that is so that it balances its operation. And I think this is the clarity that will prevail as we continue to do business, both to the household and to the entrepreneurs and intermediaries that we deal with, that self-sustaining is paramount to the operations of this bank. I think in, in a way to try and deal with that, that's why part of it is not just to give products, but also some risk mitigation instruments that will ensure that it remains sustainable. And how would then people, in fact, before I go there, 
you know, I know some of the, the TFIs that existed were, were catered specifically for rural people. Are they not going to be disadvantaged by the establishment of the bank? Uh, in fact, to the contrary, because the, the aim here is, I think, one of the key drivers, which is uh, the hopes that we have in human settlements, is to deepen the reach, to even go to the deep rural, the areas that we're not attending to, but also to scale up the delivery so that not only the urban areas should be developed, but also uh, the, 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 the rural and the deep rural. But I think at the same time is to make sure that we broaden the access. There is a segment of the market that has unsaved at the moment. For instance, you can talk about informal, uh, uh, informally employed people or entrepreneurs who are in informal businesses. Now we need to broaden the reach even to those. And therefore the rural market actually is going to benefit in the terms of scale because it will have a sustainable funding supporting it over uh, a, a long period of time. As the minister mentioned in parliament, and, and she did say it on this show uh, last week, uh, a lot of people, including my colleagues in the media, are really waiting for the bank. When are you operational, and uh, how do people access you? Well, let me start with the last part of your question. Uh, this will be a regionally based bank that will um, have this, its services for all the nine provinces. Now, its evolution in terms of um, growth, will also be a consideration in terms of sustainability. So it won't just be decided um, in any any old way. And the the, the second part of it is to when we are currently, we have advanced in terms of all the requirements, I think, for the setting up of the bank. And right now we're finalizing some processes that will bring the capitalization of this bank because neither the three entities have the sufficient capital to deal with the, the need that is out there. And therefore, that process will be towards the end of this year. And therefore, the bank should be operational um, late 2017, early 2018. I, I know I said the previous question was my last, but there's a question from a listener here, Lindy, where she says, uh, it's not the minister, it's a listener. Uh, she says, so will you be adhering <clears throat> excuse me, to all the legislative requirements, uh, NCR, etc., by trying to be accommod- accommodative? Um, obviously, I think compliance um, is very essential, especially if you are a financial services intermediary. And therefore, compliance with all the regulatory framework, for instance, it could be PFMA, it could be NCR, and at the same time, we looked up to the, we look up to that even for the partners that we deal with that they comply as well. And so, yes, we will be subject to most of the regulatory environment except for the Banks Act because we are not a retail bank that is taking deposits. Our definition of bank will be defined in the Enabling Act that establishes the Human Settlement Development Bank. That's all the time we have for this conversation, but thank you very much for the chat. Then thank you for the opportunity to actually give some share some light in terms of the Human Settlement Development Bank. Thank you so much. Great stuff, and have a great evening. I'm sure we'll talk much more about this bank as we go forward. And that concludes Rams and Sands. When we come back, it's our consumer feature, and we'll start quickly with uh, the motor industry ombudsman of SA, the head of public affairs thereof, Lucius Budive. He's going to give us feedback on some of the issues that we had dealt with before. I'm told we have good news. And then we... Talk about funeral policy payments. And we want to ask you, get ready, please talk to us on Twitter at Rams by the Horns and on Facebook Metro FM Talk. How much do you pay for your funeral plan? 
uh, are you sure what you're paying for will cover for what they tell you covers? Have you had any comebacks? Have you paid money and then they came back to say, actually, it was never enough? We're going to speak to FIRA, uh, the Funeral uh, Industry Regulator Authority, after we speak to the Ombudsman of the Motor Industry. Talk with Rams Mabote on Metro FM. Talk with Rams Mabote on Metro FM. Talk with Rams Mabote on Metro FM. Even I have to say, poor babes what do not deserve the break. Please, my feet, I'll just leave this kid alone. Anyway, uh, we dealt with a few uh, motoring issues about three weeks ago, and we promised to come back at least. Uh, Lucius Budive promised to come back and deal with those. So we've got feedback from him uh, because our listeners had spoken to him. There were issues that they had raised. And we promised we'll talk. So he's back, Mr. Buribe, Head of Public Affairs, Motor Industry, Ombudsman of South Africa. Good evening. Good evening, Dr. Bote, and good evening to Metro listeners. Great to have you again, and I'm glad that uh, uh, you are reachable. You know, you go to too many places, it's not always easy to reach you. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is this now, uh, youth month, Dr. Bote, I'm all over the place. Yeah. Luckily today I'm back home. <laughs> but you have to do what you have to do, and uh, we, we know your job is very important. So it's good that we yes, travel. Sir. Yeah. So let's go yeah. to the let's go to the uh, the uh, the the complaints that were raised, and then uh, the feedback uh, for us. Yes, that's uh, about um, I, I, I am just pleading with you to let me not mention names of the dealerships. Okay. Rather than mention the, the consumer name and the reference number. Excellent. Um, Yes, uh, Mr. C.M. Ramutali, uh, 3-36788. Um, it is a complaint that was locked uh, with regards to the repairs of a of a VW Crafter bus. We, we we did find in favor of the consumer, mm-hmm. uh, and we were led after we made findings. The dealer came back to us and told us that they have replaced the engine with no further cost to the consumer. Ah, brilliant, yes, so, brilliant. Yes, yeah. this, matter, this matter has been settled. And uh, the second one is Ms. M. Uh, Ramasali, 3402216. What I like about this complaint, that, uh, uh, about the, when we came um, to you uh, to announce that we have this eight-hour period to resolve a complaint, this mm. is an example of a complaint that was locked within eight, eight weeks. Um, here yes. she complained about the the locking mechanism on her vehicle, mm-hmm. and uh, we actually find this find in the favor of the consumer that the dealer must re- re- restore that vehicle back to manufacturer specifications because we were informed that it had an, an aftermarket fitment a locking mechanism. So it was restored back to manufacturer specifications, and then we were satisfied with with the with, with the method of repairs um, applied by the dealership. Wow. I, I, I did say it's a, it's a champagne popping moment, and, I, and I'm smiling when I'm sitting here on, the, on behalf of our listeners. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, that that, uh, that eight uh, period is prescribed by the Industrial Code of Conduct, plus that, uh, um, that online application mm. 
platform uh, assistance request that we introduced is working well. Um, you know, we are now closing cases within eight weeks. It is actually yielding good results. That, that's brilliant. But, but are you not worried that you're not always going to meet the eight-week uh, uh, logging period and, and dealing with the, with, the, with, the, with the complaints? Yes, we, we must admit that, no, that there would be cases that would go beyond eight weeks. Mm. Um, you know, with, with the introduction of this new system, we have actually been receiving extra 21 cases every day. Mm. You know, um, since, since we, 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 we started this, this project in February, early February, uh, we, we, had, have, we have received about 2,700 uh, cases online, and we have resolved you know, half of them. So it, it shows you that we're going somewhere. Um, we are trying our utmost best to resolve those cases that were old and actually have gone beyond eight, eight weeks. We are trying our level there. Great stuff. I'm not going to make uh, it easier for you and Tatebudi because I'm going to ask you to give us your contact details so that there are more complaints coming your way uh, <laughs> that you can resolve in eight weeks or less. How do people contact yes. you? But we are available uh, on 086-116-6472. Great. As usual, we repeat that on our Facebook page and you know what you do. When you contact them, mention talk with Rams. Yes. If you don't mention that, you may be last in the queue. But <laughs> Lucius would be always wonderful talking to you and thank you for resolving the issues and coming back to us. It, it, it is all a pleasure. That, no, but, uh, please uh, uh, allow me to, to inform all the uh, consumers, vehicle owners around uh, Hammerskoral. On, on Wednesday, we are in Timber. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will announce that uh, on, on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. Yeah. Tomorrow, I'm in Tembisa at Tetoha uh, City uh, Hall. In okay. And, and then I believe on, on Wednesday, we would be with the Chamber of Commerce in, in Timber location in Hammerskoral. Mm. You must send us all that info so that we can put it on our Facebook page. People must be able to, we'll, we'll yeah, to come to those uh, to we'll, those areas where you guys are are doing uh, presentations and and, uh, and hearings. Yeah, we definitely will. Great Thank stuff. you very much, about, uh, Have a wonderful evening. And you too. Thank you very much, Lucius Budibe, head of public affairs at the Motor Industry Ombudsman. So yeah, there we have it. You complained through this show. They have resolved the issues and they will continue to do so. They're working on an eight-week turnaround strategy. So. How much are you paying for your funeral scheme? How many people are covered for by that 100 rand that you pay every month? Are you happy? Are you comfortable? Are you sure you're paying it to the right organization? Have you had any feedback where things did not go right? 089110377. Talk. No, 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 no. It's uh, at Rams by the Horns and on Facebook, Metro FM Talk with Rams. We want to hear from you right away. As I welcome Johan Rousseau and Robert Mithambi from FIRA. Funeral plans have received a mixed uh, press uh, over the years, uh, with some excluding items you'd have thought would be included as standard. Some also only cover cremation and not the burial that you and I know. Then there is an argument that you might as well keep the money in an interest-paying account, which also gives your family or friends the ultimate flexibility when it comes to your funeral. Among the advantages, though, of a funeral plan uh, is that uh, 
they remove the burden of planning and paying for the funeral when it happens and when it happens. Uh, with funeral prices continuing to rise, this could be a considerable benefit. However, how does it work? If you pay 100 rands a month, how many people can you cover? How realistic is 100 rand per month for a funeral scheme? So we joined in studio uh, by two gentlemen who hope that we can talk to them for a while to come. Johan Rousseau, chairman of uh, the Funeral Industry Regulatory uh, Authority, and Robert Mslambi, the CEO thereof. Yeah, right here. Good evening, gentlemen, and thank you again for joining us. Rams, good evening to you and good evening to your listeners. Bob, are you good? Good evening to you, Rams, once more, and good evening to the listeners as well. I, I want to go straight for the Jaguar because this matter is really bothering me. Mm. And, I, and I, I've read, read some of the stuff that you, you've sent to us. We've seen some of the things that are happening there. In truth, uh, how does it work? How, how, how do funeral plans really work? And, 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 and who's, who's got the authority over these, Johan? Rams, um, the responsibility of the financial services is the sole responsibility of the Financial Services Board, uh, the F- better known as the FSB. What happens, many of the funeral industry participants act as juristic reps under an administrator or insurance company. Mm. Very few of them are directly registered with the Financial Services Board. And it's critical that the necessary support functions needs to be in place to assist the funeral industry to become compliant to sell these products. And I think from an education point of view, it is critical that the public is well informed of what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. And that is the sole responsibility of the Financial Services Board. And we reach out to them to say, how could we assist you and the insurance industry and the funeral industry to look at putting measures in place to assist everyone selling these products uh, to the general public? The unfortunate reality is that Mr. Joe Mabasa, which is sitting in Toyando, doesn't have access to Internet. He doesn't have access to technology. He doesn't have access to a variety of things. And we need, as a collective, between business, the public sector, to see how could we accommodate them in really assisting them. Because many of these people are exposed to aspects that they don't really understand. Mm, mm. From a burial society point of view, placing their business with a funeral parlor or placing it directly with a licensed financial services provider, which those services are rendered by a number of good role players out there. Um, And they are doing a tremendous good job. But we are also sitting with a hindsight where people are not well informed. So they take these products and they don't really know for what they're taking it. And in some cases we see that these people are not taking adequate insurance because it's not only about the funeral, it's also about your third-party cost of related to a funeral, which is not necessarily covered, and your non-core services like your gravesite and your flowers and your hymn sheets and the buses, tents, toilets, the catering, escalates to an enormous amount, which creates the impression that the funeral is extremely expensive. But that is services that's been rendered by a funeral parlor. But, 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 Johan, the the parlor would have said to me, for for your 100 rand, you'll be covered for 5,000 or 10,000 rand. Is it 
isn't it my responsibility at that point then to know how far this 10,000 rand can take me? The, 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 the problem that we've realized uh, recently with all the insurance schemes running around is that very little of them are linked to inflation. Mm. And a funeral parlor gets uh, into an arrangement with a member of the public offering these services, but they don't realize because they're not well informed that in five years' time, the public is going to sit without money because all the costs are escalating, fuel is escalating, staff cost, infrastructure, you know, all those type of things, and your third-party costs. Now, what we need to say to the public out there and to the industry, if you take a product from an insurance company which is not linked to inflation, it causes a possible threat. It's also important for the public out there to then, on an annual basis, go and speak to the people and say, do we have sufficient cover to cover our, our total funeral um, expenses. Robert, are the funeral parlors legally uh, allowed to take these deposits uh, and give this insurance? What are the laws that govern that? Uh, thank you very much once more, Rams. Nothing that uh, prevents the parlors from taking any deposit. I think what is more critical, as alluded by my colleague here, is, in, is to ensure that there is consumer awareness. In what way? Mm. In a sense that any person that takes about that contribution has got to be registered. It's very much important. Mm -hmm. We've seen quite a number of our people who've made contributions you know, th uh, through certain people or through certain bodies that are not uh, regulated. And that in itself can create a lot of problems. How do I check that? Um, obviously, it's important. When you go to any person that, if you go to a bank for, as an example, mm. you know for a fact that you are dealing with a very legitimate structure. Mm. But remember, we are not saying that the, the palos, all palos, you know, are not doing a good job. No, no, There's certainly, quite a yes. number of them that are basically doing a quite a good job, mm. you know. So any person whatsoever that is registered is actually get issued by that accreditation, you know, and it's important, you know, that our people in terms of the consumer awareness know that I'm actually dealing with a legitimate mm. But uh, how person. do they check that? What are the things that they must be asking? Yes. Uh, the, it's critical that the public is advised uh, to contact the Financial Services Board, which is uh, Pretoria telephone number 012-428-8000 or otherwise visit their website mm. um, www.fsb.co.za um, and it's critical but now we also on the hindsight say who's got access to that information mm. so the, the people sitting in your rural areas don't have access to that facilities to visit these people so what do we need to do is we need to get from our chairs and go into these rural communities and say to them and advise them because we as FIRA, on, we don't have any vested interest. Yeah. We need to go out there and create an awareness campaign through whether it's through the religious fraternities, whether it's through employers, whether it's through traditional leadership, whether it's through civics, mm, associations mm. and NGOs. We just need to spread the word that everyone needs to be compliant and registered with the Financial Services Board in terms of the FICE Act. Now, everyone don't understand that, but if you can take that and physically go and explain these people what is the do's and the don'ts, they will be much more, assist, uh, it will be much 
more of a situation where they take informed decisions. Yeah. Because at this stage, you've got a salesperson going out and say, we will offer you a 10 chairs, toilets, and it sounds very glamorous because you've got a nice vehicle and you've got a premises. And that basically at this point in time, touching the emotional issues, and based on that, people go and join a funeral yeah, parlor. Yeah. Not really because of the legitimacy or the compliance of the, uh, well, of the on, actual on panel. On that note, Johan, I've got an example here. So somebody takes up a policy, 1992, 80 rands per month, an annual increase of 5.5%, uh, and uh, currently now they're paying 302 rand for a 10,000 rand funeral cover. If you look back since 1992, they would have paid about 47,800 rand. Uh, but they're only going to be covered for 10,000 rand, which means they have paid much more. However, on the face of it, it looks like they have paid much more than they're covered for. But isn't that what insurance is all about, really, that we end up paying much more than we would get in return? Well, not really. I think we must also take into consideration that that person that paid that amount of money could have passed away in the first month within yeah. an accident. And so still got in the 10,000. And would have got the 10,000 rand. So we need to be accommodating also the insurance industry from that perspective. Yes. But I think in this specific case, um, it is it is a challenge, and uh, we're quite aware of this case. So we will be taking that up with the necessary um, banking institution that yeah. sold the product, and we will also liaise with the financial services board. because I think So how should it be working? Should, should the funeral plan also be adjusted uh, you know uh, according to the uh, inflation I, I, I believe so you know it's it's always um, important that when a person takes a funeral product and and you get two different type of products you get a group scheme yeah. which there's no um, increment or interest rates and it's not linked to uh, inflation then you've got a typical funeral policy that you get which is then linked to inflation and there's annual increases but I think in this specific case uh, where there was annual increments, automatically we believe that the summer should also needs to increase. So yeah. that's a matter that we will take up with the institutions relevant and the authorities um, in charge of that. Robert? Yeah, I think just to add a little bit, let's just come up with practical examples. Yeah. You know. I thought mine was practical yes. enough, but give me yeah. yours. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is that um, whenever a person would take such a cover, there are basically certain type, as my my, my colleagues has alluded, that needs to be covered. You know, your you know, all the service, all the products that yeah. comes with that. Okay, and then come ten years or fifteen years down the line, and now you discover that the amount that was paid out to yourself cannot even cover a fraction of that. So I think what we are trying to say here is that as soon as you've got more consumer awareness. It places the consumer in a position whereby, from the planning point of view, you know, they can be able to ensure that they don't find themselves, you know, you know unmet needs, unmet needs, mm -hmm. you know, those type of situations. Yeah. And the FIRA would create a platform in which, you know, there's more consumer awareness. Uh, and, because and that's to, what you pay. I need to take a break. I know, Johan, you want to come in. I need to take mm -hmm. a break. Because I also want us to talk about, I, I don't want to create a situation where we, uh, we, we show a picture of, you know, Palace not, not being on the right side. I'm sure there are guys who are doing exceptional work, but I also want us to advise those funeral Palace that may not be properly registered on how to do it so that, you know, 
everybody's on the safe side. We, d- we don't want to be punishing anybody. After all, ultimately, we want to make sure that the consumer is benefiting. So when we come back, let's talk about that. Talk with Rams Mabote on Metro FM. Talk with Rams Mabote on Metro FM. Talk with Rams Mabote on Metro FM. Request for nominations, appointment of members of the SABC board, uh, institutions and all individuals are hereby invited to nominate persons to fill vacancies of non-executive members to the board of the South African Broadcasting Corporation Limited, as stipulated in Section 13 of the Broadcasting Act Number 4 of 1999. Members of the board, when viewed collectively, must be persons who, one, are suited to serve on the board by virtue of their qualifications, expertise, and experience in the fields of broadcasting policy and technology, broadcasting regulation, media law, business practice and finance, marketing, journalism, entertainment and education, social and labor issues. Nominations and inquiries must be addressed to the Portfolio Committee on Communications. Attention, Mr. Tembinko Singoma, Company Secret- uh, Committee Secretary, 3rd Floor, 90 Plain Street, Cape Town, 8001, or email to tingoma at parliament.gov.za or faxed to 086-522-5740. Telephonic inquiries can be made to 021-403-3733 or 0837098407. The closing date for nominations, Friday the 30th of June 2017 at 4 p.m. Log in to www.metrofm.co.za for detailed information and documents. Going back to our issue on uh, funeral covers, joined in studio by Robert Mthambi and uh, Johan Rousseau from FIRA. I, I, I wanted to say earlier, Johan, that I don't want to paint funeral palace with the same brush, uh, but I'm also concerned about those that may not be on the right side. How do they make sure that they become compliant? I think Rams, um, at this point in time, you know, we've, got, we've created a network of compliance um, people that to be able to assist the funeral industry and brokers and insurance, which we are speaking to. And whilst we are not financial services advisors, we've created a hub whereby people could get the relevant advice. Mm. And we're not going to align ourselves with a specific funeral company or insurance company. But I think it's important that, especially your smaller funeral parlors, which tended to almost go under the table because they're scared of compliance. Yes. They need to come up to us. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. And I think they want, must come and they must engage us. They can go and look at our website, www.fira.org.za. And there's also other organizations that would be keen to assist them. I think it's critical that those people come to the forefront and say to us, and we will engage the FSB and insurance companies and the financial services industry is huge yeah and they want to do and they want to assist these uh, funeral parlors but i think it's critical that we create a platform where people could start engaging openly and it's not that we want to take an approach of say you are not legitimate we want to close you down i think you know within 23 years of within our democratic uh, democratic south africa we could say to these guys you know let's reach out mm. how could we assist you to become compliant so that we can assist you to then 
ultimately give the best advice because to when the you, public out there. When you assist them, Johan, you're actually assisting the community because these are the guys who are taking care of me who's already depending on the funeral parlor. <laughs> but, but, but Robert, I, we don't have much time. Mm. And, and I want us to deal with, because off-air we, we mentioned something, you know, what happens when a, when a funeral parlor goes under uh, and they have my money? We can't deal with that tonight. So I want yeah. us to deal with that next time when we next talk. Time. What I want us to deal with now is, is the fact, how do we separate FIRA, the ombuds, and FIRA, the association? Remember, as we've said earlier on, that uh, we had planned yet, you know, the process that's going to lead towards the establishment of an ombudsman. Yeah. We've done that. You know, that process we've put in place. Yeah. And without, you know, without any, you know, you know blaming any, you know, red tape and whatsoever. Yeah. That well, process is in place. Yeah. How long it may take, we don't know that. Hopefully, it should be very soon. Mm-hmm. But what we have also done subsequent to that is to form what you call, a, to come up with what you call a, a funeral industry uh, ref, reformed association. It's, it's quite important because what it does now, it looks at the broader participation of not only the funeral parlors but as well as members of the public, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And our invitation to them is for them to be able to, to participate. Because in this industry itself, uh, whilst we may be dealing with what is happening within the industry itself, there's quite a lot of issues that would come about from, you know, members of the public. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. are inf- they are the most affected yes. parties. Y- Johan, yes. do you want to add anything to that? Yes, I think it's critical, you know, for us at this stage to say how could we take hands with the industry uh, with financial services company and once again we must remember that we're a non-profit company mm. we cannot do that without contributions from the funeral industry and the public and uh, corporate business and government so it's critical and we plead with them to say how could we assist you to do more business to do better business and from the hindsight, how could we assist the industry to become compliant? Yeah. How could we help the public if there's a concern so that we then act as a mediator between, you know, the industry, the government, the authorities yes. involved? Yeah. Because we need to understand that we need to track and trace these kind of complaints because we are inundated with complaints related to financial service, services, which is not our responsibility. But at least if the public or the industry has any challenges, they can contact us and then we would liaise with the necessary authorities. And we're going to give those contact details now. But I, I want to know, now, Robert said we should, not, we should not get to that. But where, where, where is the holdup with the ombuds process? And shouldn't we be calling somebody with you here next time and find out what's wrong? Why can't we have this thing going? I think the, the critical part is, um, you know, it was a matter of effective consultation. Uh, we spoke to everyone. And at this point in time, we need to ask the, that question to the National Consumer Council, which is totally responsible and the custodian thereof. Just remember what we did is we just drafted the document. Yeah. So that process needs to be broadened out, but not only with the funeral industry, also your participants and the value chain and the public. So it needs a much broader consultation. So that process, process has not started at all. It is, it, well, according to our understanding, it hasn't, because we must keep in mind that the funeral industry's database is not readily available. And whilst the industry associations have said that there's 3,000 funeral parlors, 
we've now, with our own research, and it's still going very strong, um, we've already reached almost 15,000 funeral parlors. Look, I, I'm running out of time, and I, I, I'm sorry, uh, Robert, I can't, I, can't, I can't entertain <laughs> any more input. I, I'd like us to, to deal with two things next time we talk. I'd like to talk about what happens when a funeral parlor goes under and I have given them my money. But I also want us to talk about, and I, I'm happy to invite the National Consumer Council here. Let's talk about this process, where it's, it is, because ultimately I worry about my mother who gives a hundred rand to the industry every month and there is no regulation, there is no authority that sits there and, say, and makes sure that that money won't be lost in the system. So National Consumer Council, we have spoken to you before. We're going to be giving you a call. We want you here in the studio with FIRA to talk about this process. We want a regulator quickly. We speak every day to regulators. We, we've just spoken to the uh, motor ombudsman, uh, uh, motor industry ombudsman. We want to know where is the ombudsman for funeral industry. Johan and Robert, this is not the end. We'll have you back. We don't have much time, unfortunately. Thank you very Wonderful much. Wonderful having you here. Rams, thank you very, very yeah. much. Thank, thank you for you. coming. Thank, thank you very co- much. Great stuff. When we come back, it's fame and fortune. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this is the truth. Nyan, nyan. I've said before, it sounds very dodgy to be moving straight from funerals to <laughs> fame and fortune, but that's what we do. So, welcome back and thank you very much for choosing to stay with us. Luya Ndapotoana is South African television presenter best known for hosting SABC One's uh, youth reality series, Nyan Nyan. I like that name. I like saying it. Uh, it, it sounds so good. Potoana knew from an early age that he wanted to be in the entertainment industry after completing his metric in 2005. You. This guy is young, man. Uh, he packed his bags and uh, left uh, East London for Johannesburg and paid uh, his dues working as an extra on shows such as ECTNO and uh, Generations to doing voiceovers for radio jingles and SABC One promos. He also worked as a Herbalife distributor. This is now a hustler. Uh, and a petrol pump attendant. Nyan, nyan, petrol pump attendant. Yes, sir. That's where I started. You can't be serious. I'm telling you. Uh, it was back in 2001. Uh, after I'd finished my matric in East London, I never went to varsity. So I knew that I needed to find my own way in life. So I went to PE, cut the long story short, I found a job, I worked as a petrol attendant. I was earning 250 rands a week. <laughs> That's a thousand rands a month. On that note, good <laughs> evening and welcome <laughs> to Fame and Fortune. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you, brother. I'm wow, saying. I love that story. Yes. I love that story because, yes. you know, everybody, most of us, when we look at people who have made it in life, we mm-hmm. think it always started well. We yes. think it was always that good, they just walked in and, and things are easy. Mm-hmm. And that's why may, many of us give up so easy because yes. we, when this, the first obstacle, we walk away and thinking the, the world is not meant for me. Mm. So when, when they hear these stories for me, it's very yes. important. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. <laughs> I love your story already. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, thank you. So let's imagine mm. you and I met in a, 
in this building, yeah. you know, well, on any given day, and we're just about to get into a lift, and mm. I think, I've seen you before. I've, I know this face, yeah. but I can't put my finger on it. And I asked you, and we have only 15 seconds. Excuse me, mate. What's your name, and what do you do for a living? How would you answer me in 15 seconds? Okay. All right. Well, my name is Luyanda Botwana. Mm. Uh, I'm a TV host for a show called Yan Yan on SABC One. I'm also a radio host, okay, but I'm not working there anymore. Yeah. So that's what I do. So, so, are you making money out of what you do? Are you making a living out of what you do? <laughs> I am, but I'm also using it to open other opportunities. Mm. And I think that's what most of us on TV are not doing, which is why you, you know, you, you still, you don't have a, 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 a Vimesh anymore, for example, because mm. for me, TV is just, an opportunity that you must use to to open other doors yeah because it's such a very powerful medium you know if you're smart and you 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 read up a lot like me you do your research uh, there's a lot of opportunities there's network marketing if you are like me you never yeah. went to school yeah you can use your face on tv because <laughs> you know that no one will say no to you when you invite them to the presentation yes so there's just a lot of opportunities that you know you can you know uh, uh, maximize on using the tv face what percentage of what you make mm -hmm. do you save? The percentage of what I make? Yeah. Because it's not much. <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's, much. It's never much. Yes. They never pay us enough, these guys. <laughs> of course. You know? Of course. That's why sometimes I just wish I was in Hollywood. But I think <laughs> it's just a little over 10% of, of, of whatever that I make yes. a month. Yeah. You know, and, and still, yo, I, I need to sacrifice a lot mm -hmm. to be able to save that. That's yeah. why I don't leave the lifestyle that many people are living on Instagram. Yeah, and that's what people think. <laughs> they think all of you guys live this glamorous yes. life. They don't realize you mm. hustle like everybody else. We, we do. In fact, maybe we hustle more than, you know, and nine to five people. Yeah. Because here's the reality in our industry. If you, if, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm in season now. I'm doing this season and I'm going off season in July. Chances are the show will only come back next year in February. Meaning that if I haven't saved up enough, between Ju uh, July and, and February Faye. next year, then <laughs> I'm in trouble. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so that's the reality. Okay. On that note, I yes. have to ask, do you think fame and fortune are related? Well, it depends if, if you are able to, to form that bridge. For example, uh, you, you, have, uh, you have people like Casper that are famous, mm -hmm. and I believe they are rich. Because they managed to create that bridge between their fame and the money they have. You know, the difference between a, a poor TV person and a successful TV person is that bridge. One was able to create that bridge and one was not able to create that bridge. So I think there is a relationship. It depends on how smart you are. So are you saying that bridge does not come automatically? No, no, no. It doesn't. If that was the case, we wouldn't have... Uh, a Messi Pagela today in mm, that situation. Mm, we mm. wouldn't have a Zizi Congo. We wouldn't have a, a, a Vimesh, for example. Sorry, yeah. sorry to, 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 to mention their it's names. It's not about them specifically. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't come automatically. You, need, you really need to understand why you are on TV. One guy, when I was still coming up in the industry, told me that if you are in this industry for fame, then you must know that you will be another Messi Pagela. But if you are in this industry, to use it, to exploit the fame that you're going to get, to empower yourself and to empower others, then you're on the right path. Luya Napotona believes, by the way, that a relationship that is based on trust, honesty and respect <laughs> can stand any test yes. and will survive any problems it might encounter in the future. Mm -hmm. He's our guest on Fame and Fortune. Stay tuned. Remember, we'll take one question from one of our listeners on Twitter. So any question you want to ask, 
as long as it's related to fame and fortune. We don't want questions about his relationships. <laughs> we don't want questions about uh, where he slept last night. Thank we don't you. We don't care. So if you've <laughs> got a question you. related to fame and fortune, that's all we are interested in at Rams by the Horns. When we come back, we continue our conversation. <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. It is a privilege to do what I do because I get to meet very exciting and important people. It makes <laughs> me feel very important. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I cherish what I do. Uh, it's fame and fortune. Our guest is Luyanda Potwana. If you watch television, you know the, 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 the program Nyan Nyan. But if you listen to radio, you may hear a lot of voiceovers with that voice, that mm. magical voice of this man <laughs> who's come from Riggs, Riggs, Sirius Riggs. I mean, Sirius Riggs to be where he is today. Mshabam, have yes, you ever been so. broke? Many times. Actually, even before I, I, I became Nyan Nyan, yeah. uh, I was homeless. And I know that a lot of people on TV always like to say that. But with me, I have witnesses, people that are, are working here, even uh, like Mshoba Wene. Yeah. Uh, the TV side, which is why I'm putting together a DVD, a live documentary that highlights that because we, we realize that a lot of people need to know my story. So I've been broke a lot of times. I've been broke even when I was on TV. And I like that one. <laughs> when when you're already on TV, yes. you also became broke. Oh, yes. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes, especially when I was starting out because I didn't know things that I know now. You know, me, we you know before I started, I thought that being on TV means that you are set for life. Ticket for life. You know what I yeah. mean? So I bought a car. I remember it was 20, early 2014. I bought a car and then I had to pay for it every month. And then there was a time was off season for eight months. I didn't save up enough. Whoa, and uh, there was man. this car I was running away from the repo man. So it was hell. It was crazy. How, how did you come out of that? <laughs> no, I, I paid for the car. Yeah. Uh, but eventually. How did you come out of trouble though? <laughs> out of, I was running away. That's what I did. Yeah. I ran away. That's all I did. I ran away, but it, it didn't last long. I had to go to the bank eventually to talk to them and explain my yeah. situation and the way that we work. And they understood. And by the grace of God, I was able to pay for it. That, that is why now when I buy a car, I buy it cash. Because it's the of only the industry way. that we yeah. are in, yes. Uh, but also, if you don't pay it cash, you are yeah. enriching the banks. Man. Of course, because yeah. the, a car is not a, is not an asset anyway; it's a liability. Yeah, it does not appreciate it depreciates. From listening to your story, it tells yes. me that you have learned to be very disciplined about mm -hmm. money. Yes. But like all of us, there are things that we like. I mean, there are things that, you know, we can't avoid, even if it's disciplining a man. Yes. What is that one thing that you can't avoid, <laughs> even when you want to save? With all the financial education that I now have yeah. through reading and research, uh, I can't resist riffs and sneakers. I'm telling you. Yeah. You know, sometimes I do go overseas and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's tempting. <laughs> it's tempting. Yeah. I just can't help myself every time when I'm there. 
because they have such beautiful sneakers. I'm not. I don't, I'm not saying that we don't have. Them. Yeah. Yeah. But I always buy. If 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 I can get someone who can just help me. Yeah. To to beat that temptation. I'm telling you. I'm going. I'm going there this month and and. I'm really crossing fingers for me not to see any sneaker. I will put you in my I'll prayers. <laughs> I will pray <laughs> Please for you do. very, very seriously. Please. Please. <laughs> so, so if it happened that mm-hmm. uh, on the same day I went back to the same lift and I bumped into you again. Yes. My lucky day, I see you again. And I have one last chance to ask you another question. That mm-hmm. would be, would you say you've made it? Uh, uh, yes, confidently, as, especially given where I come from. Yeah. You know, because making it does not mean that you have to have millions. Yeah. Making it is a comparison of where you are and where you come from. Mm. And with me, you know, 2012, I was a nobody. I was homeless. I used to come here and ask for, for people to give me coins, KC from then, you know, a few people. And then now I would confidently say I've made it. I was going to ask you uh, to give advice to your peers about how to handle fame and fortune. But yes. I'm, I'm not going to ask that question because okay. there's a better question from one of our listeners. Okay. He says, having started from humble beginnings, yeah. what have you learned about money? And do you believe in biblical principle of tithing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I believe in the law of giving and receiving. Ah, great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, yes, the, the, the greatest lesson about money is that... There is no future, there is no financial future for all of us in this country if we don't get financial education. And I think it starts at school. Mm-hmm. You know, I think our education system needs to incorporate that, financial education. Yeah. Remember, money doesn't make you rich. It's financial education that makes you rich or successful, if you don't, if you don't want to use the word rich. Yeah. So that's the advice that I would give anyone. Go out there. I mean, I never went to varsity. I only went to school as far as my matric, but... Uh, 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 I'm, I'm educating myself every day, financial education. I read up a lot, Robert Dickey, Psyche, all these guys. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really educating myself because that's the way to go. That's the way to curb unemployment with this yeah. 27.7 now, by the way, compared to 2004. Yeah. It was 26.5 in the first quarter of 2004. Now it's 27.7 in the first quarter of 2017. So things are getting worse. So if you don't have that financial education, we are going to be in trouble. Wow. Well, uh, I, I know you said that, you know, being being successful or wealthy does not necessarily mean millions in the bank and yes. stuff like that. But I have to ask you a question <laughs> that I, you know, I'm expected to ask this question. Yes. So, would you say when you look at what you have made, yeah. both in assets and cash in the bank, uh-huh. that you would have accumulated one million U.S. dollars. Yet. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I'm still don't, going don't, there, but not yet. Don't worry. The text man is not listening. You can answer again. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you stand by that answer. I stand by that answer. And I, and I hate the fact that it's a no, but it's a no. <laughs> but you are getting there. I'm getting there. Everything that I do is to ensure that I get there. Yeah. Everything that I do. Well, I'll tell you what. One of the ways of getting there yes. is being inducted in the Hall of Fame and Fortune on talk with Rem. So thank you very much for coming here. Thank you, sir. You are right on that track. <laughs> Next time I talk to you, you would have made that of $1 course, million. Dollars. Of course. Of course, I received that blessing. It, thank you very it, much, brother. It, it is a great honor to have you here. Thank you, sir. We truly appreciate your time. We truly appreciate the work that you do. Thank you. Your talent yes. feeds a lot of people out there. Thank you so much. Uh, so if you go to bed without food, mm-hmm. 
Don't worry, your talent is feeding a lot of people out there. Amen. I'm hoping that you don't go to bed without food, though. <laughs> yes, not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. It's great, in fact. Yes. All the best. Thank, thank you, you very much for coming through. Thank you, thank you, sir. Luanda Potoana, watch him on Nyanyan. He's going overseas. I hope he doesn't buy too many sneakers. That concludes our show tonight. Thank you very much to Tato and T-Deep. Tomorrow we're back with Opportunity Tuesday. From me, Rems Mabote, good night and God bless.